Uh, we want to welcome you to church this morning, guys. Um, I'm so honored that you guys have chosen to be this morning. Um, if it's your first time here, I'm, I've heard, I'm sure you've heard many uh, instructions on some next steps we have for you. Because one thing as a church is we do not want people to come into this body and believe that they, they just can sit. We want you to be engaged in the kingdom. We want you to be engaged in what God has for you um, as, a, as someone who is pursuing him. And so this morning, if you're coming in for the first time, you're on the, uh, you're on the second week of a new series. We started last week that's called Race, Reconciliation, and the Gospel. And I don't, think it's, uh, I don't think we have to look very far to see why we're discussing this topic because there's so many things going on in our culture right now where we need to kind of evaluate where we're at as a culture, but that has to happen first in our homes and then in our hearts to see where, we're at, where we are as people. Like where, what are we doing as a body of Christ to see this, this problem um, just done away with? And I think it starts in the church. Our main, week, our main goal last week was to show you in Scripture how God's goal in the gospel wasn't just the elimination of racism, it was the achievement of reconciliation. We believe that God wants reconciliation for all nations. We see it from Genesis to Revelation that and that we, like, whenever you see the, the people around the throne, it's people from every tribe, tongue, and language. It's, it's people from every nation around the world um, declaring the praises for our Lord. We see the gospel is displayed more clearly when people who have few cultural commonalities in this room and in the body of Christ come together around the name of Jesus and are united around the gospel. And that's what will change the world. Not a, not a political party or a politics, not your opinions on social media, the church coming together and being unified around the name of Jesus, a, a multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic church that's praising the name of Jesus. That is what's going on. I beg a question of what's happening in that place. So as we get going, let's pray really quick. And so, Father God, we love you. We thank you. I pray that you would just, just wash us with your word this morning. God, give us your heart and your light. And Lord, we pray that you would just unify us, God, in a way that only you can. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we said last week, um, you know, it's not going to be a, a, pol- a political party or an agenda. It's not going to be the person who comes in and say, hey, follow me, listen to me, and everything's going to be okay. No, that's not what's going to happen. It's not going to be how many times you put um, a verse on, on Facebook or Instagram or how many times we celebrate this holiday or that holiday or share this or that. It's going to be us coming into surrender and submission to Jesus, uniting as a body of Christ, loving one another, and, be, and going out into our community and showing people of the world, this is what the body of Christ looks like. The body of Christ, the, the kingdom is built with multicolored bricks, is what we said last week. It is, a, it is a beautiful tapestry of culture. And if we as the church aren't fighting in the reconciliation process, then we're failing to align ourselves with the heart of God. It's just the way it is. As I read scripture, Matthew 5, you see Jesus calls us, what does he call us? The salt and the light of the world. But if the salt loses its saltiness, if we lose our flavor and cover our lights because we've become so satisfied with a Sunday morning service and the way things are and forgotten our purposes in this world as kingdom citizens, then we're, miss, we're missing it. We're missing what, what the point of this whole thing is because we can't, and this is what I've learned the hard way, I can't read this book and cling to, to some parts of the gospel and sidestep the hard parts that make us uncomfortable. You can't cling to the gospel and sidestep the parts that are hard for us to follow. 
And it's not just reconciliation, it's many things, but we can't, we can't make a Bible, we can't make a word of God, we can't create a gospel to follow that, that makes us comfortable. Many people try, but you have to take all of it or none of it. And I want to tell you today, as, as we said last week, my main goal was to show you the heart of God when it comes to racial reconciliation in light of the gospel. And this week, I want us to take a different approach. I want us to take some application points. I want to, I want to go through and say, this, this is what it's going to take to see a church that has been re- reconciled to the way that God is intended and, and we can be an example for our community and for our world. A church like ours, how can we become reskilled in the way that we think and listen and speak to people? And, and how do we talk about race in light of the gospel? And what are some practical ways that we as people, we as people, the body of Christ, can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, like it says in Philippians? And that's where we're going to be at today if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Um, but how can we do that in our pursuit for racial harmony and justice amid the dumpster fires in our culture right now? Because it's crazy what's going on and around us. And, I, and like I said last week, this is a massive topic and it won't be, we won't be able to, to solve this issue of racial division today or in a sermon series, but I want to try to start the conversation. I want to try to start the conversation where we can be comfortable going to our brothers and sisters around this room, around this city and say, hey man, what, what's life like for you? Ask the question of what, what, what's going on? Man? What, what can I, how can I pray for you? How can I walk with you? How can we do life together better? That, those questions are huge, man. Today I'm having a conversation with a, uh, another brother across town. His name's Lee Edwards. He's going to be preaching here next week. So y'all make sure y'all come back next week to hear him preach. He's going to be wrapping up this series for us. But we're doing a, a video today. Just gonna, just gonna, we're going to be talking about some real stuff. And I told him, he, he's the same way, like he and I have the same heart, like we, we're, we're, really, we're really alike and it's funny because like I don't, I don't pull many punches, he doesn't, so we're going to have some hard questions. I have some hard questions for him that I wrote down and he has some hard questions for me. I'm excited, a little nervous, but I'm excited and it, we're going to show that to the, to the world. And so just that, that's the type of mentality though that we have to have as a church, being willing to sit down with somebody that doesn't look like you, act like you, think like you and ask questions and talk and just get to know people. Because if we're sitting in our comfort zones, we're not doing what the gospel requires. And I want to enter into this conversation today, and I'm, and I'm praying that you begin to reach out and have some of those conversations too. But our, our goal is not only to be a church that champions diversity in the body, but we, we also want to fight for reconciliation. Because diversity and reconciliation are two different things. Diversity doesn't happen until reconciliation has happened. Does that make sense? A heart that, that reaches out because what, what did Paul say? Remember what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He said, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation because in Christ, God was reconciling us, the world, back to himself. And so what he has done, he has committed the message of reconciliation to who? To us, to me, to you. The people who say, hey, I'm a Christian. Well, this has been given to you to give to others and to be an agent of change. And just like reconciling someone else back to Christ, doesn't happen by me just going and saying, hey, man, just be not, let's be, I just want to be nice to you. I just, want to, I just want to tell you about Jesus. Oh, you don't want to hear? Okay. Like, it's not about being nice to someone and hoping that they will come to Jesus. In the same way, it's not about being nice to someone that doesn't look like you and hoping that'll cover the reconciliation. Listen, reconciliation doesn't happen by being nice to someone of a different cultural background. It happens by being intentional about being in relationship with someone, listening, learning, investing, loving, and growing together. And whenever you have differences of opinion, it's okay because we're grown-ups. 
And we get to walk together in Christ, right? Because what, unity isn't just about getting along, is it? Unity is not about getting along. It's about getting things done. And in Micah 6.8, a great verse in Scripture, it's, it says we are to collectively, as the body of Christ, do justice. To, ju- do, to do justice. There's an action word, do justice, not just talk about it. To do justice. And I love what that says. And as we get started, I just want to stop and pray and, and say this for a second. And, and this is something that's been on my heart for the last few weeks is the church for the last few hundred years has made it, has, we need to stop asking people to be, to be Christians. You're like, what are you talking about, Michael? Like, we have a lot of Christians, right? People who come in here and they say, I want to be a Christian, get saved, get baptized, whatever, and they walk out and nothing changed. What we call those people are converts, then they just sit and then we, and we give them this cultural Christianity and say, if you, if you love God, if you read your Bible, if you pray, God's going to bless you and he's going he's to make your life great and you're going to die and go to heaven. But that's not what I see in scripture. We need, we need to be inviting people to follow Jesus. But yeah, because being a Christian in our culture, we've made it kind of easy, right? But following Jesus, following after him is hard. Being a Christian doesn't save you. Following Jesus saves you. Following Jesus saves you. And I say the Christian words because we slap the Christian label onto what it really means. And it looks like an American Christian. We go into places like Africa or Asia or places and we try to, we try to westernize their Jesus. And we, we're called to, to open up the word of God and say, this is who Jesus is. We're meant to follow him. And we said last week, if this word, if you have a disagreement with this word, we need to assume that we're the one that's wrong. And as we go into this, I want to show you that following Jesus means we fight for the things that Jesus fights for. We love the things Jesus loves. We, we go after the things that Jesus goes after. And I think right now what we're seeing in our culture is hundreds of years of nominal Christianity culminating into a mess in our culture. Would you, would you agree with that? Hundreds of years of it. And like Martin Luther King said, 11 a.m. on Sunday morning in America is the, one of the most segregated times of the week. It should not be that way. I don't think that honors God at all. And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Philippians 1 if you're not already there. But if you remember, if you go back to where we're at in Philippians, I want to show you the heart of God for the church, the heart of God for the people of God. And so I love Philippians. It's one of my favorite books. Paul's writing from prison. Um, he's writing to the church. This is not for unsaved people. These are, this is for the church. He's giving a message to the body of Christ. And if you remember back in Acts, God used Paul to establish the church in Philippi. But when Paul, but then Paul had to escape Philippi because of some intense persecution that was happening. So he had to run, go, get out. So the message could continue to be pushed forward. But from the start of this church, this was a very diverse church. His first members were a, a, a businesswoman, a slave girl, and a jailer. So crazy. And, and, they, and they didn't look the same. But after Paul left, these forces of opposition started coming in from the, from the inside and the outside. And it was threatening their unity. So when Paul heard this, and while he was in prison, prison for preaching the gospel, he writes back to the church of Philippi and admonishes them towards the love and the unity that is fundamental and central to the life of God's people. And so as we look at this, what I want to show you is that in verse 27, he had just gotten done saying something very, very, very ground-shaking. He says, to live as Christ and to die as gang. We like to get tattoos of those things right on Facebook. We like to do all these things to live as Christ with God's game, game, brother. But do you know what that actually means? Do we actually have the faith to say those words, really? 
To, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Hallelujah, brother, right? Do we really have that kind of faith? And someone who follows Jesus does. And I want to tell you, Paul was understanding to live as Christ, which means I get to speak the message more and more people get to hear about the gospel and the hope of what Jesus brings. But if I die, I get to be with Jesus. That was the type of faith that he had. And that nobody could do anything with his brother because if you killed him, great. If, if you didn't kill him, he'd be fine too. It, it, nothing, nothing fazed him. And so, but, and so what he does... He goes in and says, I don't, he tells him, I don't know if I'm going to live or die because I'm in prison, but, but here's, what I, here's why I'm writing you. And he looks at, let's look at verse 27. I'm going to read verse 27 and 28 together. He says, this is why I'm writing you. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, circle that, that's a big word. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent because I'm in prison, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit in one accord. And you can look at some other translations that says one soul or one mind. It's huge. Contending what? Together for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but your salvation, and this is from God. And so I look at this. These few verses, guys, if you, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, like if you write in your Bible, I hope you do that too because it's, it's okay. Um, some of you might not, but I, mine looks like a, a coloring book. Um, and so like these few verses right here in, this, in the middle of this page are the heart of this entire letter. It's the heart of the entire, and this is the primary hope and the main exhortation that Paul has in mind for the church when he writes. He's, he wants them in light of the pressure from the culture, in light of the different opinions, in light of the different things happening around them and that, that's tempting them away from being united. He wants them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel by standing together, no matter what background you came from, standing together under the banner of Jesus to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel by standing together in unity around Jesus, even in the middle of cultural opposition that was drawing them away from love and unity. We need to hear about that today. Let's read verse 29 and 30. It says, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. I need y'all to hear that. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw that I had and now hear that I that you and now hear that I have. And so what he's saying is, which is why I'm in prison. This the struggle is why I'm in prison. I'm struggling, I'm in prison for the gospel. Let's keep reading. Let's go to verse um, one and oh actually let's go to 30. Since you have since you have engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and I now have. I need you to see this because what I said earlier about to live as Christ and to die as gain, and I also said we have a cultural Christianity that all the, that, that we, we, we tempt people into coming into their comfort zones. People leave churches because they don't like music. They like the type of music that we're singing. People leave different churches because of the color of the carpet. People leave churches for some crazy reasons. You talk about suffering, you daggum sure they're gonna be gone. Suffering for the gospel is not in our heads in America. But this joker is in prison writing to people in the Philippi saying, hey, you might be here one day. Stand firm for the gospel. Live your life worthy of the gospel. Be united in love and in peace. Let's read verse one. Or chapter two. It's, it's the one right after chapter one. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. My Lord, 
Did you, I need y'all to hear this because this is such a big thing. He, he starts off with some rhetorical statements of, if there's any encouragement in Christ, well, you know there is. If there's any consolation of love, you know there is. If there's any fellowship with the Spirit, you know that there is. If there's any affection and mercy, you know that there is if you're a Christian in this room this morning. You know those things are true. If that's true, then make my joy complete. He's saying make my joy complete by thinking the same way. It's not saying everybody gets along all the time. We're, we're not conforming all to one, one thing, but he's saying, this is what I'm saying. All these cultures come together and they have one mind that's sit on the gospel and on Jesus. And that's the heart about it because there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be uh, tension from, from time to time. But if Jesus is our Lord and we're, and we're united around the one way of thinking, the one love, the same spirit, and we're all intent on one purpose. If that's our goal, it's a mighty church that's going to be raised up. That was Jesus' goal. And so what's happening here, what you're seeing is he's basically telling them, so these things are true, and these things are already yours in Christ, and so this is what the church is meant to look like. And so let's, let's, let's look at verse um, 2 one more time. I want, to, I want you to see this. May my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in the Spirit, and intent on one purpose. There's four things that he points out to them. That if you're writing notes, write these four things down. Circle those four things because these four things are still true for you. Be united in love. Same, excuse me, united in the spirit, the same love, intent on one spirit, intent on one purpose, and thinking the same way. Those are big things. Let's look at verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than you. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And so the word only, circle that. We're going to talk about that in a second. It's huge. The word only here is a Greek, is, is, excuse me, is not in the Greek language. It's, it's the only word in this sentence that's not Greek. And the reason why he does that is he's trying to make this point more radical, make it hit harder. He's saying hit, he's trying to hit, not only look out for your interest, but look out for the interests of others. Look out for the interest of your brother and sister on your left and your right. They may not look like you, may not talk like you, but they have the same heart and the same united spirit around Jesus. And Paul's speaking, and what he's saying is this is a day by day in our families, in our workplaces, in our connect groups, in our church, walking day by day in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul is saying this is love. He's saying this is the mind that I want you to have among yourselves as you follow Jesus because the culture needs to shift. We need to be culture changers, catalysts for change in the body so that we can see the gospel push forward and we can see people come to know Jesus by the way that we love one another. Let's look at verse 5. It's an amazing little sentence right here. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Listen, guys, you can't do that by living a cultural Christianity. You cannot do that by just coming to church on a Sunday and maybe a connect group during the week if you feel like it. You can't do that by just kind of loosely following Jesus or being a Christian. You do that by following him step by step. The same mindset of that of Christ Jesus. And really think about that. What does that mean? What did Christ do? He came and laid down his life for us. He came and laid down his life as a servant, as a, as a lover of men for, for the people that, that, that needed salvation, which is you and I. And this says saying that we need to have the same mindset, the same heart, the same lifestyle, the way that we're living in, in, in our jobs, in our homes, 
And he's saying this should flow out of a new life with Christ Jesus. This should be something that should flow out of a a relationship with Jesus. This is not something that you should work for. Like, I need to be better. I need need to read more in my Bible. I need to pray more. I'm like three weeks behind on the 412 reading plan. I'm messed up. God's not going to save me. Jesus does the work. We don't. The Holy Spirit works in us to move and act according to his will. Now, there there is a thing called quenching the Spirit. Ask yourself the question, am I quenching the Spirit when it comes to reconciliation? It's a big question. And then the next few verses, I want to read 6 through 11. What Paul does is he puts Christ on display. He puts Christ on display for the Philippian church saying, this is how you do it. This is the example. Jesus is the example of this type of living. This is what he says. He says, have the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, doulos, a servant, slave, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross, which the Old Testament teaches it's cursed. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's awesome. That is awesome, guys. That is what it's about. And what I want to show you is this is one of the earliest, most beautiful pieces of Christian doctrine that we have about Jesus and his identity. And many scholars actually believe that this is a hymn that Paul was using to display Jesus as our example. And what I want to show you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, these five verses are the very heart of what we want you to know and what we want you to take away from here today, who Jesus is. Because that's what's going to change your life whenever you answer that question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus in your life? Because among everything else that you'll hear today, this is what I would want you to hear the most, that this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the world's true king. He's not an elected official that I can take out anytime I want to or move here and move there. He's a king that I worship and I adore and I bow before and I submit my life to. And I don't negotiate with him. I say, yes, Lord. Now, where do you want me to go? And we can say those things a lot, but if we're, our lives are, well, they will, it will give the fruit because Jesus, like Jesus coming and, and dying for our sins, that's the good news of our faith, that God became a man in Jesus without ceasing to be God and lived a perfect life and laid down his life on the cross for you and me and that Jesus, the son of God, received the punishment of an enemy of God. That's the heart so that, so that you and me, we could, who are enemies of God, by nature, because of our sin, could become sons and daughters of God through faith in him. That's the heart of the gospel. And what's happened is after he laid down his life, God raised him up again, the resurrection. Then Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father where he sat down, and right now he rules and he reigns as Lord, whether you like it or not. And I want to tell you, one day Jesus is coming back, and he will make that a very visible reality to all of us. And if you're not a Christian, that's the most significant thing that you could ever know and that we want you to know from today because listen, it's about Jesus and it's all about Jesus and everything we do in this place will always be about Jesus and him him glorified and him worshiped. And so as we're reading Philippians church, I want to tell you, the, the, the hymn really is one of the greatest pieces of doctrine and, all, and, and, it's, and it's all of the New Testament. And I tell you that, that what's interesting is that Paul didn't put it here 
in this letter so that we can just marvel at doctrine. Oh, this is a great piece of scripture. It's wonderful. He put it here right in the middle of this exhortation toward unity to display Christ as the supreme example of the lifestyle he's wanting to motivate us to live towards. He's holding up Jesus and saying like this, Jesus is the one who showed you what this looked like. And that's what I want you to see today. Let's look at verse 12 through 14 really quick. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. See, I told you. Verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. That's so good, man. Like, Listen, it's awesome to read these verses in context, isn't it? What, what's he talking about working out your salvation with fear and trembling in verse 14? And it, I think verse 14 shows us what it, what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling by to, to love each other, to lay our lives down for each other, to lay our lives down, to fight for unity, to fight for the kingdom, to see the church built. I see, I see all these, these, these similarities in what God's calling us to do through this, through this letter to the Philippians. And I, I don't think this is meant to be done in the exact way that Jesus did because he was unique. But in the same way, we're following after his pattern, after what Jesus has called us to do. So how he says, do this. He says, do this in verse 15. He says, why would we do this? So that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Does that not describe our generation too? A crooked and perverted generation. We're called to be faultless and blameless and pure children of God, to stand out among whom you shine like stars in the world. So my question, Christian, right now in your life, do you stand out as stars shining in the world or are you blended in? Are you trying to live your life with not many waves? Or are you standing out like a bright star? This is what Paul is saying in the middle of all these dumpster fires in our generation, man. Stand strong. Be the church. Stand up. Shine bright. This is the way to live so that you'll shine like lights in the world, loving each other and considering each other more important than yourselves. This is what it means to be a church. This is the way of life that the church was called to live. And this is the only way a church must strive to walk in hopes to follow Jesus and keep in step with his spirit and not the world's steps in matters of racial reconciliation and harmony. Because right now, racial reconciliation is being politicized. Racial reconciliation is something that we've we've strayed away from because it's uncomfortable. But if we want to be a church known for putting the gospel on display and making Jesus known to the world throughout our community and the nations, this has to be what we're committed to. What we said last week is if you're not a racist, great, Congratulations. But if you aren't fighting for racial reconciliation in the church, then you're a part of the problem that is ultimately dividing the body of Christ and hindering the mission of God. And there's no room for passivity. There's been this spiritual laziness that's created this cancer in the church that everything we work for is working to get us to this next comfort zone, this next comfort level where everything is in nice, neat little rows. Right? Can we agree on that? That's what I've done in my life. We try to get to our comfort zones and we lean away from discomfort. This is uncomfortable, man. I'm going to lean this way where I get my comfort over here. And this is what we call cultural Christianity. 
This is a faith that has been tainted by the culture and has begun to look more like an Americanized version of following Jesus. And I need us to hear that today. In one of Martin Luther King's final sermons, I think it was his final sermon, he described this as being asleep in the middle of a revolution. And as followers of Christ Jesus, we can't afford to be saved but live our lives asleep. We can't afford to be saved. Jesus, thank you for saving us and live our lives asleep. Blind to the peril and the injustices of our brothers and sisters around the world. Blind to the people across the street or across the continent. Ephesians 5, verse 14 through 16, I love it. It says, get up, sleeper. Rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He's not talking to to non-believers. He's talking to the church. Get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, pay careful attention then how you walk. Pay careful attention then how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. Our time is short. The days are evil. Be wise in how you walk. Listen, our, our culture has taught us to divide ourselves into sections, hasn't it? It's taught us how to divide. They, they, they claim that they're, they're about unity, but they've taught us how to divide in different ways. Race, ethnicity, gender, politics, socioeconomic classes. And what's happened is it's begun, we've been lulled to sleep by how the culture around us tells us that we should feel and how we should respond to things. But that's not what I see Paul telling us in Philippians. Because, But church, because you've been set apart. As Christians, you've been set apart by God's grace for the purposes of God. By God's grace for his purposes. You've been set apart. And my question is, are you living set apart? When the Bible says in, in Romans, it says, it says, weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Have you wept with a brother or sister? Have you mourned with a brother or sister who are going through struggles? I'm talking racial things. I'm talking relationship things. I'm talking about anything. Have we wept and mourned? Not for your brother and sister. I'm not mourning for you. I'm mourning with you. That's, there's a difference there, right? I'm not mourning for you. I'm not weeping for you. I'm, I'm mourning with you. I'm weeping with you. And when the Bible says that, we're called to do it. Have you recognized that we've been empowered by, the, by God? Like Josh was just saying, we, we've been empowered by God as agents of change in the world through the Holy Spirit. He's called us, he, he said we're, we're salt and light. And salt, what it does it do? It gives flavor. In light, it reveals evil and it reveals the truth. Light reveals evil and then we're called to go to world war against evil as children of light and then fight against what's evil. Or have you lived your life thus far asleep at the will? We can't afford to be a church that's saved and lives lost. We've said that many times in here. We cannot afford to be a church that's saved but lives lost. When we started this church two and a half years ago, one of the things that we, we promised ourselves is that we would fight for racial reconciliation and we would not sat, be satisfied with a cultural Americanized Christianity. But we would push and fight to see people raised up to follow Jesus. And as you look in scripture, every chapter from Genesis to Revelation points to Jesus. It's a culmination and it's, it's seen in prophecy in Revelation chapter tw- or 7, showing representatives from every tribe, nation, and tongue united around the throne room, praising Jesus, the Lamb of God. And as a church, we're supposed to be the sign to the world of the coming fulfillment of God's covenant of salvation. Our purpose is to paint a picture to the world of God's kingdom. 
And so today, as we're going to talk about, as we're talking about this, my heart is that your heart will be a little softened because the Bible says they, the world, will know us by our love and our unity. This is what Philippians 1 and 2 is talking about. Live up to that. And this is what the American church has to see in Christ. Christians of other ethnicities and, cult- and cultures aren't just your equal. They're joined to you as a family. And that's the heart that we need to see. And, and this is what identifies the church and an and, and uncommon love and an uncommon unity, painting a picture of our community of the coming kingdom. A multi-ethnic church where people who've been historically divided are brought together in Christ point to the mystery and the power found in the gospel. And that's what I want us to know today because when we have a group of people who have little in common except the common love for Jesus and an experience of grace, that speaks to the world. And my heart today is that in Scripture, we would see every nation and culture represented around the throne. And if the church looks nothing like the kingdom, then something's wrong. And to help heal the hurt and the frustration we're seeing in our culture, I think the world needs to see a clear picture of Jesus from the church. And as a church, we need to do some things. There are hundreds of things that we can do, thousands of things. But I want to give you really, really fast three quick ones. What we're going to do at this church we're not, we're not going to fight to, to eliminate racism. We're going to fight to achieve reconciliation because the first will be solved by the second. Does that make sense? We're going to fight. We're not going to fight just to eliminate racism. We're going to fight to achieve reconciliation. People live like, oh, I'm not a racist, so I'm good on this. And, and, and as if they've achieved something, if they've done something. I'm great. I'm, I'm not, I love everybody. I'm colorblind. All these things they say, listen, God's vision to Peter in Acts 10, we talked about this many weeks ago, it didn't stop him from being a racist towards the Gentiles. It was a challenge to embrace them, to to go in, eat with them, worship with them, live amongst them, love them like your brother because that's what they were now. And so congratulations if you're not a racist, but have you gone the full measure of what God has called you to do in the gospel of going and pursuing reconciliation? We're gonna do that at this church. The second thing, Get comfortable being uncomfortable. We're going to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Let that be your new comfort zone. Becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. I might have just lost some of you. That's okay. Listen, that's how you know that you're a part of a multicultural church. Your comfort zones are always being tested and pressed against. You never know what's happening. Your comfort zones are always getting pushed around. You see yourself starting to live these new norms. And what I want to tell you is we need to, stop, we need to stop judging other people and start appreciating each other's differences and learn from each other and pursue unity and understanding. Have those conversations that we were talking about earlier. And this is the third thing, third and last thing. is cultural and racial diversity won't be our primary goal, but gospel, pro, gospel proclamation is the goal. But this starts with reconciliation because it's part of the gospel. But our main goal will always be gospel proclamation. Our main goal is fulfilling the Great Commission and it's about making disciples of every nation. And the reconciliation part is what's gonna help us get there because it's gonna be a great way to heal our country, heal our city, to see healthy disciples created. For many people, multi-ethnic diversity has taken too much weight because the gospel has to remain the central central to everything. And I believe we can do more for the gospel going forward together and united than we can be divided and separated 
in, in, in divisiveness of ethnicities or whatever we may divide it by. And these three things that I just rattled off for you really quick are something that has to be something that you take ownership of. And it's going to be hard. You know why it's hard? There's two reasons. One, you're prideful. I'm prideful. The second thing, you have preferences. I have preferences, right? First thing is you're prideful. Unity is hard because we're prideful. Can anybody admit they're not prideful today? Okay, good. Good. I saw one hand on nose line. So, and so what I'm saying today is that pride, just like in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, our race has become a source of pride for us, right? And you can look all around the country. We're constantly coming up with things that, that we believe make us significant, that will set us apart from other people. I'm smart. I'm rich. I went to this school. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a Libertarian. And also a side note, it's time for the church, the body of Christ, to stop allowing our political beliefs to guide our faith. It's time for our faith to guide our beliefs. It's time for us to allow our faith to guide our lives, not our political agendas and our parties. I'm talking to all Christians, not just one political party. We're citizens of a kingdom first. First. But what's happened is we've been tempted to come in and divide ourselves on, on politics. I'm talking to all Christians. But what happens in our, is our pride either, it drives us to exalt ourselves and to look down on other people, and there's not really any middle ground because when we're in Christ, we're more a part of a kingdom race and, and an ethnic race or anything else that distinguishes us. It talks about this in Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. That means we're all created in the same heart, the same equality, the same love, the same. They didn't say God created a white man, God created a black man, God created the red man in his own image. It said God created man in his own image. And then in Romans 2, 11, it says God shows no partiality. So the real reason that we see we have skin issues is because we have sin issues that we need to address. And that's the heart behind all of this is we're sinful we're sinful, and if we in the church want to fight for a cause, because I know some of you in here, and I've seen your Facebook page in here. I know some of you. I'm watching. I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Let me tell you, if we want a cause to fight for, let's stop fighting for the, the trivial things. Let's start fighting against the real enemy. That's sin. Start fighting against sin. Let's show that Jeremiah was correct when he talked about 17.9 of his book that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we must stop talking about the problem of sin being out there in some system of our government or some system of a political party or some system out there that's, that, that's, that's sinful and start looking in here because I'm sinful. You're sinful. We have sin in our heart that Jesus needs to restore and heal and, and, and redeem. And that's when things start changing, when, when people who are redeemed start coming together and living together in harmony, despite our differences, the world will be a different place. And then after that, we center, we, when the center of the problem is dealt with, our sin, we point people to the cure, which is Jesus. The last thing for today. The second reason it's going to be hard. The second reason it's going to be hard is our cultural preferences. And they're deep, right? They're deep. There's this thing called the great white myth that I've talked about here one time before. It's the great white myth. It was in the, the civil rights era was, is when our white brothers and sisters repented of their racism. There was an assumption that all of our African-American brothers and sisters would come rushing back into the church, thanking God that everyone could worship together again.
I want to tell you what that is. It's prideful. It's delusional. And it's sinful. This type of thinking doesn't have reconciliation and restoration at its heart. This type of thinking exposes the ignorance and the lack of concern for brothers and sisters of other races and cultures and exposes our lack of interest in becoming a united church that expresses the full image of God to the world. Man, don't hear me wrong. Listen, this is not a white problem or a black problem or an Asian problem or even an immigration problem. This is a sin problem that we all possess that only Jesus can cure. It's a heart problem that we need to allow the Lord to breathe life into because preferences can never be the foundation. Preferences can never be the foundation for our decision-making in the church because that always leads to our comfort zone, doesn't it? I prefer this seat. I prefer this chair. I prefer this music. I prefer this pastor. I prefer this worship leader. I prefer this song. I don't prefer this song. We start building around those things. That's a dangerous road to walk down. It's important. So you want to know how you can know if you're in a multi-ethnic church, you're not always comfortable. And it's okay not to be comfortable. Don't allow your comfort zones to influence your decision-making. And I'll tell you this, I have some examples before we quit today. As you know, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. I've shared this illustration with you before, but I want to share it again because I think it's relevant. But I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, right? I told you before, I'm a recovering Baptist, you know? Um, and, the, and the people I remember in my church where they loved God intensely. They loved Jesus in every hymn they sung, every, everything they did, every offering they took, every Lottie Moon offering they took. They loved the Lord, man. Loved Jesus. Many of them lived the most sacrificial lives that I've ever seen, the most generous people that I've ever met, pouring themselves out for the gospel. They were prayer warriors. My grandma would pray the paint off the wall, son. I'm telling you, like they just, they just weren't very emotionally expressive in worship, Right? I know some people from our denomination, from other denominations around the world who would say, look at that church and say they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They ain't got no spirit in that place. My question is like, being filled with the Spirit isn't synonymous with a worship star. I need y'all all to know that. These people served God faithfully, sacrificially, were generous, and brought people to Jesus consistently. Then a few years later, quite a few years later, I served as a youth pastor of the United Methodist Church up in the Macon area. And it was not a very expressive place at all. It was very methodical. Uh, it was very um, kind of the passion was nowhere. It was just kind of, with, but they loved Jesus and they, and they loved the Bible. And they were very, they were, they were, they were, they were very into what they were doing, right? Um, I've, I've worshiped with a, a Korean speaking service before. I had no idea what anybody was saying, but I know Jesus was being worshiped. I know that. Um, they, they were, they had lots of energy. There was a lot of shouting and worship, a lot of, uh, they're giving the Lord the high fives, you know. They're washing the windows, all those stuff. But then, when the when the, but when the when the time for when the time for the word came and the pastor opened the Bible, their glasses went on, their pen came out, their notebook was out, and they were zoned in on everything he was saying because they he, they knew the word was open and they valued the word more than anything else. That's what struck me about that. I was able to take a mission trip to Kenya back a long time ago. I'm the first time I ever went. And I was able to go to a church service. Uh, the guy took us, he said, we're going to a church service today. I was like, great, this is awesome. I get there, loudest music I've ever been a part of, and it was nothing, there was no amplification at all. It was amazing. I walked in, and the, um, they were singing, doing all things. things. We walked in, interrupted the entire service. They kept going. Guy in the back gave me his seat, never knew me. I was a white dude in Kenya. He gave me his seat. He gave the rest of my team seats. Um, after they were done singing, he asked me to preach. I was like, nah, not gonna happen, bro. Nothing prepared. Jesus loves you, right? Okay. 
You know, I, you know, I started with John 3, 16. It was, it was great. They asked us to sing in the choir. We had, we had this big old choir in the, on the stage. It was, a, it was a Baptist church plant in the middle of the, in, of the Kenyan bush. And we got up there and started singing. And I was not, I don't know what song we were singing. They just wanted us to sing. If we stopped singing, they'd be like, come on. And so, listen. I attended a, um, I used to work for World Changers back in the day, and um, I, I, worked, I went to, I worked in New Orleans for six weeks, and we had the opportunity to go to an African-American church. The longest service I've ever sat through, the longest, the most emotional and loving culture that I've ever been a part of in a church. And then they even had a lunch break and went back to worship after lunch. I loved it. I was like, I'm on board with this, dude. We can do this. And so my question is, what what, which, which place is right in their form of worship, in their form of, of illustrating, illustrating the glory of God? The, the answer is all of them are right. The answer is all of them are right. But what's wrong is when we begin to divide based on our preferences, when we begin to see black churches and white churches and Hispanic churches and Asian churches, in my heart, and I may be wrong, Jesus, I'm wrong, but I believe that's wrong. I believe, that the, I believe that the body of Christ is meant to come together and despite our preferences and despite all the things that the, the pride that tries to divide, we come together around Jesus because nothing else matters and we see something beautiful created. Because when churches are divided by ethnicities and worship styles, it becomes more about what we prefer than who we're worshiping. Y'all see that? We divide into denominations because... I believe it's pre-trib or post-trib, or I believe it's, I believe you're once saved, you're always saved, or I believe this. <laughs> Listen, God, it's about the name of Jesus. It's about him being glorified. Yes, we want proper theology. Yes, we want proper doctrine, but I think we can do that together. And I think we need to stop leaving the debates and we stop needing, leaving the disagreements because we're taking our toys and going home and starting our own church. And we need to come together and be mature men and women of God and talk about these things in a way that's loving to Jesus. It's the same way with reconciliation. My question is, you have somebody in your life who's a Christian that doesn't look like you. If you don't, that's an issue. Let's figure that out. Let's work that thing out. Listen, God's called his church to be advocates of reconciliation and restoration, but we can't do that until we've been reconciled back to him. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus... I pray that you'll get that right before you leave. Uh, we're going to go into a time of worship before we leave. Um, just one more song. I just want to give you an opportunity to come pray. If you know you've struggled with racism, if you know you struggle with being oblivious, if you know you've struggled with right, white transparency, not understanding what's going on because I've just been kind of asleep at the wheel, let's come work this out at the altar. Let's pray that God would just reveal to us what's going on. But that's not the only thing to come for. Guys, listen, I want people that are going to come and, and to Jesus today and say, Lord, here are my hands, here are my feet, here's my voice, use me. And that's the heart we want in this church is no matter what, no matter where we go, where we find ourselves, that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, and he is the one we worship. He is the one we're going after, and he is the one we're fighting for. The reconciliation happens at the heart of the gospel. That's our heart today as we jump into this, in this culture and as we try to be agents of change. And so this morning, if you know that you don't know Jesus, come talk to me. Come talk to Eric. Come talk to Whitney. Come talk to any of us around this room that may be on, this, on these walls that want to pray with you. Come do something. Make a step. And I promise you the second step won't have to be taken alone. So let me pray for you, and then we'll, um, we'll worship. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, I pray that you would just work in us today. God, I pray for the heart in this room that's hard. God, I pray that you would convict us. God, change us 
from the inside out. God, make us a church that is, that is reconciled back to you. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would, creating us a, a kingdom image in this place, Lord, where we would just worship you, honor you, adore you, God, and we would lift the gospel high for the world to see. Lord, we love you so much in this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.